Good morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Aaron Walton. I'm one of the pastors here. And as always, I'm incredibly honored to have the opportunity to speak with you. Today, we're going to continue our message series that we've been in these last couple weeks called Heart and Soul. And this has been an opportunity for us as a church to kind of dedicate some time to looking at the inner life and trying to focus on how to cultivate a healthy soul. And we're going to try to answer the question, what are the things that are most important in this life and how do they help us cultivate a healthy heart and soul? And so like I usually do, let me start our time by asking kind of a weird question. What is your most prized possession? Take a second and think, what would you claim to be a great treasure that you own? Now, before you get too sentimental on me, I'm not like trying to get the, oh, my family's my greatest treasure, (laughs) my relationship with God. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking materialistic, okay? So out there, let let me just think for a second, what would you consider to be your greatest possession? Maybe it's a fancy toy that you have, whether you're an adult or a child. Maybe something that you've like collected over the years. Maybe something that you spent a whole lot of money on. What would be your greatest treasure. Now, the weird thing is we kind of live in a world that are all about collectibles, all about trying to get the thing that we really desperately want. And we will go to crazy lengths in order to obtain that treasure. So I want to give you just a couple examples of things that people have purchased. And when I read these, these are all true, it was shocking to me. The amount of money that people spent when they obtained these certain items that they claimed as treasure. So let me give you a couple for examples. And a little note, I'm not telling you this is their value. I'm telling you how much people were willing to pay for these items. So number one, on March 16th, 2022, an original Boba Fett Star Wars action figure, here's a picture, was sold at a private auction deemed the Holy Grail for serious Star Wars collectors. Who are my Star Wars fans out there? Anyone out there? Yes, may the force be with you all, okay? Now, this in particular action figure sold for such an incredible amount due to the fact that you can see uh, kind of on the left side of the L-slot rocket firing capability that was only produced in limited production, okay? This action figure that's no more than this big, can you guys guess how much this sold for? Over $200,000. I can't even imagine, okay? Having that amount of money to spend on an action figure, but somebody spent. Number two, on August 29th, 2022, a mint condition Mickey Mantle baseball card was sold in auction, becoming the most money ever paid for a piece of sports sports memorabilia. Can anybody guess how much this one sold for? A little bit more than the action figure, $12.6 million. I mean, I can't, like the action figure, like, okay, toys are cool, but a baseball card? The most boring sport known to man? And you buy that for $12.6 million? Oh. By the way, side note, uh, go find a Los Angeles Dodger fan today and give him a hug, okay? Just give him a hug. <laughs> Last but not least, this one's the craziest. It's not the most expensive, but this was, I thought, the craziest. 
In 2017, a 20-year-old discontinued McDonald's chicken McNugget dipping sauce flavored Mulan Szechuan teriyaki was sold on eBay after being mentioned on a TV cartoon called Rick and Morty, kind of built a lot of popularity, it was mentioned in this TV show. Someone said that they found it on the bottom of their car one day when they were cleaning out their car, put it on eBay, sold it for $14,700 for a 20-year-old dipping sauce. My big question is, did they eat it after they bought it, right? It is crazy the lengths that people will go to once they have determined this thing, this item is a treasure that they cannot live without. Once they have determined that this item, this one thing is worth everything. But like I said, we kind of live in this world. And no matter what our decisions are or the things that we want or our pursuits, there's some level of sacrifice or commitment with anything that we pursue. And it's not all crazy things like I just showed you. It's normal stuff, right? The normal things in our life, if we want to pursue the decisions that we make, there's always an element of sacrifice and commitment. Think about the job that you have or the career that you have pursued. There's some level of risk, there's some level of commitment that you agreed to in order to do that job, or at least try to do that job well. And every job has a different level, again, of risk and sacrifice. Do you know that there's actually like a listing of the most dangerous jobs in the world based off of the fatality rate that's connected to these jobs? Does anybody want to guess, according to a study, in 2022, the most dangerous job in the world is? No, no. Most dangerous job in the world is being a father to daughters, actually. That's the most... No, it's not. It's really hard, though. It's really, really hard, okay? It's really, really hard. Talk about that later, okay? Most dangerous jobs in the world are actually either... Um, there's, there's a bunch of different ones that I saw, and then someone said logging is actually the most dangerous, or being a fisherman or a hunter, okay? And that's why I'm not any of those things, okay? <laughs> so the question has to be asked. What are the things, what are the pursuits that are worth the sacrifice? What do you consider in your life, the things that you've pursued after, the decisions that you've made, the things that you value above all that are worth the sacrifice? And today we wanna talk about that a little bit. And we're gonna try to answer the question, how does understanding this understanding the importance of what's in our life, the things that we are devoted to, and then how does this help care for our soul? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're just gonna look at a few verses, a couple words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples and to a crowd, and really dive into what he's saying to help us try to answer these questions. So you can follow along or just listen to me read Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. 
So a couple things we have to define first. One is the way that Jesus is teaching in this moment, right? He's speaking in a parable. And for those of you that don't know what that means, it's a teaching technique that Jesus used, taking an everyday scenario, an everyday common understanding situation, and then trying to give a deeper meaning. So he takes these two ideas about this worker in a field and this this merchant, and he uses that as an understandable kind of concept that everybody in the crowd would get, but he's trying to convey a deeper meaning, a deeper truth. And so what is he trying to convey? Well, he's trying to explain what the kingdom of heaven is to this crowd and to his disciples. So what is the kingdom of heaven? I think if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you've probably heard someone here on stage say something along the of kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, but I'm sure it can be a little bit confusing. So I'm gonna do my best to try to explain to you what I think the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God looks like, but it still might be confusing because it's this, this thing that we talk about, but it's really hard to point to it and say this is what it is. So let me do my best. One of the biblical commentators that I always read every time I preach a sermon is William Barclay, and this is what he says. This is his definition to the kingdom of heaven. He said, let us remember what the kingdom is. To be in the kingdom is to accept and do the will of God. There's only one way to bring peace to the heart, joy to the mind, beauty to the life, and that is to accept and do the will of God. So this is his definition, right? So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is being a part of the kingdom of God? It's someone who's made the decision to do God's will, not our will. It's someone who has made that conviction that it's not about my will, God, it's about your will for my life. And so that is a part of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. We here at Abundant Life, we say it a little bit differently. Our mission statement is this. We are a community of regular people living out God's extraordinary story the way that Jesus showed us. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's doing God's will. It's making that choice. God, I don't want to make the decisions. I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to be in control. I want you to be in control. And so we do that as a church by saying, we want to live out your extraordinary story. The story that of your love for humanity, your desire to draw humanity back to yourself. And so we want to live that story out. Well, how do we do that? We do it the way that Jesus showed us. And when we do, we become agents. We become representations of God's justice and peace, of his love, truth, and hope. We internalize that. We reflect that. And then God leads us to allow those things to come alive in this world and in our community. And in so doing, we build the kingdom of God. And so the question has to be asked, how devoted are you to living out the story of Jesus? How important is it for you? How much do you adore and revere and hold your relationship with Jesus above everything else? How committed are you? And are you willing to give up everything in order to build his kingdom, to do his will, to live out the story of Jesus? Now, quick disclaimer. I don't want this conversation that I'm trying to have with you to come across with guilt and with shame, right? Like, are you devoted to Jesus? Well, you should be. And if you're not, you should feel really bad about it, right? Like, that's a lot of what sermons can feel like sometimes. But my personal opinion is I don't believe God has ever been glorified through guilt and shame. I don't believe that hearts and lives are transformed through guilt and shame. What I do believe is that God is glorified when truth is revealed. I believe hearts and minds and lives are changed when we see truth 
when we wrestle with that and then we learn to accept it. And that's why we're looking at the words of Jesus, who was the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at the words of Jesus. Try to wrestle with this question. How devoted are we truly to living out the story of Jesus? Let's look at verse 44 again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, this was a common everyday scenario and situation that most of those people that were listening to Jesus would totally understand. Because back in the day, they didn't have things like banks or safety deposit box, right? Most homes were not secure and protected from thieves. And so what would they do? People would take their valuables, whether it was a metal or coin or jewels or whatever, they'd put it in a box or they'd put it in a jar and they'd go out into the field and they'd bury it to keep it safe for whenever they needed it. And because this particular region that Jesus was in had been taken over by kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, they had just been over and over again, people have kind of controlled that area. So many treasures over the years had gotten lost in these fields because someone would own it and then someone else would take over and then someone else would take over. And so it was a common occurrence that you could go out into the field as you were working and that you would find this treasure. And so Jesus is talking about this worker who discovers this treasure and he recognizes how valuable it is. And he says, I need to get rid of everything everything that I have so that I can buy this field so that I can obtain this treasure. So again, what is Jesus trying to say? What is the deeper meaning that Jesus is trying to convey to this crowd and his disciples? And what he's saying is the single most important aspect of their life is their relationship with Jesus Christ. Their pursuit of God's will, not their will. That nothing, absolutely nothing compares to the pursuit of God and his kingdom. That there is no sacrifice too great for us to be a part of it. Now, I know this is early, and I know you guys are tired, but I didn't hear one amen to that, okay? <laughs> and that makes me nervous, so I'm going to say this again. The single most important aspect of our life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we, if we recognize and understand that value, there is nothing, nothing that we would not give up. No sacrifice too great when we truly understand how important doing the will of God is and building his kingdom. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is one of the things, again, that Jesus is trying to get this crowd to understand that, yes, it's going to take commitment. Yes, it's going to take sacrifice. Because anytime you choose to follow Jesus, you automatically choose not to follow this world, the story of this world, the life of this world, the culture of this world, that you are making choices that aren't of this world, you're making the choices to follow Jesus. And so that's going to take work. That's going to take commitment. But what does Jesus promise in this parable? What is he trying to say? He's like, listen, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be challenging. Yes, there's going to be a part of you that doesn't want to do this, but hear me when I say what you will receive, what you will gain by being a part of God's kingdom, doing his will, and following the story of Jesus far eclipses any sacrifice that you could ever think of making. What you will gain and the promises that will come and the blessings that God will pour out on you won't even compare to the sacrifice of saying no to this world but yes to Jesus. 
The sacrifice demands total commitment, but leads to something far greater than we could ever ask or hope for. Now, let me give you a for example. A long time ago, I preached a sermon, and I told the story of how my wife told me to take the wet clothes that were in the washer and put them in the dryer. And so I did exactly what my wife told me to do that day. I took the wet clothes from the wash, and I put them in the dryer. The only problem was I didn't turn the dryer on, okay? But as I've explained to my wife many times over the years, you didn't tell me to put the dryer on. You just told me to put the clothes in the dryer, which I did. So um, I think I have a better story that actually tops that one, okay? So one of the lessons that we've been trying to teach our girls, Carly and Emma, 10 and 8 years old, is that we've been trying to teach them when they use a bowl or a dish or some type of you know, thing to eat food, that they don't just take it and put it in the sink, but they actually put it in the dishwasher, right? Because these dishes and bowls don't just magically get clean, right? Like there's a process that you have to go through. So the other day, I'm, I'm having a bowl of cereal, okay? And it was a really good bowl of cereal, okay? Honey Bunches of Oats. Anybody fans out there? Okay. It's my third favorite cereal. Okay, just let you know. Come, out, come find me afterwards. I'll tell you my other two. So I have this bowl of cereal. I make my way to the kitchen. I'm about to put it into the sink. And I have a moment of clarity. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, stop. You do not know what you're about to do. And I stop and I say, oh my gosh, I was about to leave this in the sink. But I'm going to be better. I'm going to prove to my wife how much I love her, okay? I'm going to be a courageous husband right now and do the hard, and I'm going to take this bowl, and I'm going to put it in the dishwasher. And so I did, and I walked away, and I was really proud of myself. And I was super excited. I said, oh, man, when she sees that dish that I put in that dishwasher, she's going to be so proud of me. So the next day, I get this text message from my wife, and I'm like, oh, she must have noticed the dish. And she's wanting to congratulate me and tell me how much she loves me and how thankful she is that I'm in her life. This is going to be great. And so I get this just one quick line that says, is this a joke? Question mark. And then this picture. Okay, just hear me out. Okay, just hear me out. I thought I did the right thing. I really did. I put it in the dishwasher, but I just didn't quite understand the whole concept that she was trying to convey there. So now why I tell you this story, it's because of the reality, the truth that I've come to recognize over the 13 years of being married that I can be a lot of work. Okay, she agrees, all right? She agrees. I can be challenging. I'm difficult. It's not easy to be married to me, just to be honest. I can drive my wife crazy at times, and it's taken a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard moments, but my hope and my prayer is that the relationship that we've built and the family that we've built, hopefully far greater than the hard moments that we've gone through. You guys saw, she shook her head, okay? She shook her head. And I can testify to you that, yes, the marriage has been challenging and difficult. It's taken commitment. It's taken sacrifice. She has driven me crazy many a time. Stories I'm not allowed to share on this situation, okay? <laughs> but I can tell you this, that the blessings that God has given me through our relationship and our family far outweigh, eclipse any sacrifice, any hard, any challenge that comes along with it. And I'm so incredibly thankful for it. So is the same 
in your relationship with the living God. That yes, it takes commitment. Yes, there's going to be sacrifice. We are going to abandon the things that the world says gives us value. The the things that the world says demands our time. We're going to say no to that, and we're going to say yes to Jesus. And when we follow his will, not ours, when we live the story of Jesus Christ and live as he lived, when we attempt to build the kingdom of God by allowing the characteristics of God to be present in our life, we will receive a blessing and a promise. We will receive life that I consider to be the only life that is worth living. Let's go and look at the other parable that Jesus says, verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Again, Jesus is just doubling down on this idea. Another common scenario, situation, right? This this merchant, this professional merchant who's skilled in the art of pearl appraisal and assessment. He knows which ones have value and which ones do not. And so he's going about his normal day and he comes upon, as the New King James Version calls it, the pearl of great price, the pearl of great value. He sees this and he goes, oh my gosh, there is nothing, there is no pearl that I could ever find that will compare to this one. And so what does he do? He sells everything that he has, sells everything he has so that he can obtain this one pearl that he has deemed of great value and of treasure. So let me ask you this question again. How devoted are you to living out the story of Jesus? How important have you determined your relationship with God, living his will, not ours? Now, I'm not asking you how often you go to church. I'm not asking you how active you are in serving or in a life group or a Bible study. I'm not asking you how much you give on a regular basis, what your tithe is. I'm not asking you how often you serve in the community. Those are all important things. Those are all amazing things. And I'm not here to critique that. I believe that the church is God's instrument that he uses to help shape his community more to be like his son, Jesus Christ. So those are all awesome. But I think you can do all of those things and never be truly devoted to Jesus. I think we can go through the motions a lot of what church expects us to do, but we've never fully surrendered our life, never made that prayer every single day of God, not mine, but your will be done. Dallas Willard says it this way, said, most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have never decided to follow Christ. Now, again, That might be difficult and challenging, but I think that's sad the reality of the church of today. Now, again, the church is a safe place, and wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we want to be a place of encouragement, of helping you lead and guide. But it's so sad how often people have actually been a part of a church and never made the decision to truly follow Jesus. And we need to always remember this beautiful truth. That the riches of this world, the comforts of this world, the control of this world are amazing and they feel great and they feel right, but it leads to nothing. It leads to no true value, but following Jesus, living our lives, committing to him, then we discover life and life to the full, life that is worth living, life in a way that we never thought we could live. My wife and I over the last month or so, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, I think. We've been watching 
um, a new TV show called The Chosen, okay? Anybody out there seen or heard of The Chosen, all right? Now, when I first heard about this, right, for those of you that don't know, The Chosen is a TV show that's kind of giving a creative depiction of the story of Jesus and his disciples. When I first heard about it, I wasn't super, like, excited to watch it, okay? I've watched a lot of Christian media uh, movies and shows over the years, and to be honest, they're most of them are really cheesy. Like most of them are kind of embarrassing. Like I don't really enjoy watching it, but I had a lot of family members saying, you should watch it. It's amazing. How dare you not want to watch it? It's Jesus. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And you know, to be honest, I've watched a lot of bad TV in my day. Okay. Anybody else out there watch a lot of bad TV at one point or another? So I'm like, fine, I'll give Jesus a chance. Right? Like I've because there's been some bad TV shows. I won't tell you the TV shows I've watched because I don't want you to judge me, but I gave The Chosen a chance, okay? And the first two episodes, I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Like, what am I watching here? Like, I had a bad attitude maybe, or Katie and I, I was looking at her going like, am I missing something here? Why is this so good? And then with the third episode, shows a little story between Jesus and a group of kids. And it shows the way that Jesus is treating them and interacting and talking to them. And then suddenly my eyes got really wet. It was so weird. Like it was like dusty or something like that. I'm like, why? This is really uncomfortable. I don't understand what's going on. And then the fourth episode showed Jesus inviting his first disciples, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then my eyes were getting really wet during that episode. And I'm like, babe, we got to do something about the dust in this house. I don't understand what's going on. And so I was hooked. And I've loved it ever since. And it's an incredible show if only because of the depiction of Jesus interacting. I look at it and I watch it and I go, I hope that is as accurate as possible of how Jesus treats other people. So I want to show you a clip from this movie that I believe is appropriate for our time together. And the clip I want to show you is when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And for those of you who don't know who Matthew is, in the Bible story, he is a Jewish tax collector, which meant that he was employed by Rome the empire that had kind of taken over, that had kind of oppressed the Jewish people. They were the enemies in a lot of people's eyes in the Bible story. And they were the ones that hired Matthew, this Jewish follower, to be the tax collector, the guy that would take all the money from everybody. And because of that, you can understand, nobody liked him. He was hated. He was despised. It shows in the show how his family kind of disowns him and has wants nothing to do with him, that he's basically all by himself, all alone, but he's got the biggest house on the block. He's got all the money that you could ever want, and he's got Roman protection, which back in the day meant nobody would touch you. So in some standards, he was living a really good life. And then Jesus shows up, sees him, and invites him to follow him. Let's watch this. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. This is what um, Dallas Willard says. He says, the correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and a life of the highest plane. Cool part about the way they depict Matthew, right, is we understand the end story, right? He goes from this guy who's isolated from the world, everybody hates him, to being introduced into this community that truly does love on him and care for him and walk with him. And then his life is utterly transformed and changed. And then we know that eventually along the way, this tax collector becomes the author of one of the gospel stories, the gospel of Matthew. And so this guy who was hated and despised, this guy who was abandoned because of following Jesus becomes an inspiration and encouragement for hundreds, thousands, millions of believers because of the words that he wrote down as he followed and walked with Jesus. Hear me when I say this, church. There is no better care for your soul than true devotion to Jesus Christ. There is no better care for your heart and from your soul to avoid the darkness and the chaos and the challenges that this world so easily wants to consume us with than true surrender to the living God putting our lives in his hand and crying out, not my will, please God, but your will be done. Please let me be a part of your kingdom. Let me be a part of your ministry. Let me help others come to know who you are. Let me live like you live. So the last question has to be asked. What is holding you back? There must be something. There could be something. What is 
that thing that's in your life right now that you're putting your time and energy and your emotions into that's holding you back from true commitment to the living God? Is it the job that you have, the career that you've chosen, or the amount of time and energy that you devote into that than the other things in your life? Maybe it's a relationship that's unhealthy, that's preventing you from experiencing all that God has. Maybe it's an attitude that you have. Maybe you just like the comforts and the laziness that this world offers us. I know I do. Maybe it's the agenda that you have for your life, the inability to give up and relinquish control to God for your direction because you want to be the one in charge. Maybe there's a sin in your life, a choice that you make or you made a long time ago that's continually haunting you or making you feel that guilt and shame. Or maybe there's a stronghold that the enemy has in your life right now holding you and preventing you from experiencing all that God has. Now, I've asked the worship team to lead us in one more song. And the song is called, I Surrender, by Sons and Daughters. And this is the first line, okay? When I was working on this sermon and I thought of this song, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the prayer that I want to make for myself, let alone that I want this church to make. This is the first line of this song. The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you. So what do you need to surrender today? Or maybe the better question is, who do you need to surrender to today? I gotta believe that there's someone in this room right now that's never made that decision to follow Jesus. You've never made that decision to invite Jesus Christ into your heart. And I want there to be a moment and a space right now for you to consider it, for you to lean in. Because all I'm trying to testify to is the truth that the scripture says, that the greatest treasure, the greatest possession that we could ever own, something that is worth any and all sacrifice, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that through that relationship, through sacrificing and surrendering our will to his, our lives will be forever changed, transformed, and we will experience life at its highest level because that's the promise that Jesus makes for those that follow him. This is not a message to make you feel guilty and shameful. This is an opportunity to respond to the truth of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this day and I thank you for this moment. And so Lord, all I want to do right now is give an opportunity and a space for us as a church to surrender everything that we have to you. Lord, that we together would make this the cry of our heart. This would be the prayer of our life, Lord, that as we sing this last worship song, that we're not just singing it because that's what we do, but we honestly, truly believe that the best place for us to be is in your presence. The best place for us to be is surrounded by your love and surrounded by your arms. And it needs us to make that choice, to make a sacrifice, to make the commitment to surrender everything to you. Lord, the riches of this world, they are glamorous. They are enticing. So many of us are walking through the ugliness and the darkness and the challenges that this world has. But you have seen us, each of us, and you have called us all by name. And all that you ask us to do 
is surrender. Surrender into your arms and into your love. And the promise that you make is that which we will receive, the promise that we are given, the blessings that will come far outweigh any sacrifice that we could ever even imagine. Holy Spirit, if there's someone in this room today that needs to give their life to you for the first time, I pray that you would give them the courage to take that step. For those of us that have been walking this road for a long time, but we've walked off the path, we've gotten distracted, we've gotten used to our nice, comfortable life, I pray that today we make that promise and that declaration that we surrender to you. We are fully devoted to you for that is the best place for us, for you to care for our life, our families, our heart, and our soul. I thank you for this day. I give you all the glory and praise. Amen.